Well, you could open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. As I was thinking about what to preach this week, this passage just kind of was on my heart. And uh, in God's providence, this is also the passage that our, our women looked at in women's ministry over the last week or so. And what I want to do is kind of uh, try to address the current situation with, you know, with James and Grace Life and what we're doing. Um, just want to kind of address that to, to you, help you think through everything that's happening, as you know. And as I even already said, Pastor James Coates, pastor of Grace Life Church, where I served for four years, was imprisoned last week for doing the basically the same thing that we're doing here, holding a church gathering. The only real difference between what they're doing and what we're doing is they don't have as big of a building, and so they don't have the the space to separate the way that we do. Technically, he was imprisoned for failing to follow the Health Act and then not obeying the undertaking that demand that he follow the Health Act and then refusing to sign the condition of release, which was not to conduct a religious service or to set foot on Grace Life property. And in light of these things, I, I thought it would be more appropriate today to look at a passage that helps us understand the church. You know, James is in prison right now because he has a biblical understanding of the church. And what I think every Christian needs right now is a high view of the church. A high view of the church really should go hand in hand with a high view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, however, many Christians don't realize the importance and the value of the church. And so I want to take you to a passage that shows us the kind of the view, the, the kind of view of the church that, that Christ wants us to have. We need the perspective that Paul has in this passage, and, and our passage for this morning is Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 1, it reads this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now Paul wrote these words when he was in prison. He calls himself, in verse 1, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He sees himself as a prisoner because of his commitment to Christ. He was in prison for his service to the Lord Jesus Christ and for his service to the Gentile church. He says in verse 1, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He begins these verses pointing out that, that he's a prisoner, and then he ends this section by mentioning his suffering in verse 13. And so this text that we're going to look at today begins and ends with suffering. And he's asking the Ephesians, according to verse 13, I, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The reason they should not lose heart when their fellow brother and pastor and their apostle is in prison is because of everything that's written between verses 2 and verses 12. Note the little word that begins verse 13, so. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The, The reason not to lose heart is because the church is worth suffering for. The church is the Ephesians' glory. And Paul then is suffering for a great cause, nothing to be discouraged about. And this is what I want us to see. I'm hoping that the the truth of this passage will strengthen our resolve to glorify God by serving the church. You see, this passage teaches that the church is the instrument by which God is displaying His glory in this age. God has designed the church to to glorify Himself through the church. Therefore, it's our great privilege to serve the church. It's a great mercy to be part of the church, even if it means trials and sufferings. And so as we look at our passage this morning, I want to point out five characteristics of the church to equip you for persecution. Five characteristics of the church to equip you for persecution. I called this message the the I got to look what I called this message, the glorious the the glorious church of Jesus Christ, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And these characteristics of this glorious church are going to equip you for whatever happens and however the world might come against us. And the first characteristic of the church is in verses two to six. And I called this the mystery 
of the church. We're going to look at verses 2 to 6 under this heading. The mystery of the church. Now in verse 1, Paul says, for this reason. But then he breaks off and he doesn't come back to the this reason until verse 14. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so what we have between for this reason in verse 1 and for this reason in verse 14 is a, a digression. And I think Paul, as he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a, a prisoner <clears throat> on behalf of you Gentiles, I, I think he he all of a sudden starts to think of himself as a prisoner. And he breaks off to talk more about why he is a prisoner. You know, he kind of, it's like he, he, he says he's a prisoner and he almost has kind of shocked himself. And now he's thinking, let me, let's talk more about this, why I'm a prisoner and, and the reason behind my imprisonment. And so this is a digression uh, and, and it's a digression about the church. He's talking about the church in this whole section. Now in chapter two, you know, what, and, and I get that because he says, for this reason, what is this reason? What is the reason? Well, it's, it's everything that's come before in chapter two. And in chapter two of Ephesians, Paul explained how God had powerfully worked to save the Ephesians. And he had done that, that he had saved them by grace and he had united them together in the church as this new corporate body of believers. And so they had been made alive with Christ and they had been joined to one another in his body, the body of Christ. For this reason, because of this salvation, because of this salvation and because they've been joined to the church, Paul was encouraged to pray for them because of what God had begun in their life. He is now going to, he's going to pray for them that that would be experienced in their life. But he, he breaks off now as he tells us that he's a prisoner and he wants to tell us more about this church for which he is a prisoner. Now verse two in the ESV says, assuming that you have heard. Assuming that you have heard, and, and it's literally there, if indeed you have heard. And whenever you see an if, you want to look for a then, right? If there's a, if there's an if statement, there's often following a then statement. And, and so the idea is, uh, assuming that you've heard, if you've heard, and I, I know that you've heard, of course the Ephesians had heard of Paul and the stewardship of God's grace that was given to him. But, but when we see this if, we want to try to find where is the then statement. And the then statement doesn't actually come until the, until verse 13, the end of our passage. The ESV translates that word there, so. So if you have heard all of these things that Paul says in verses 2 to 12, then, in verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And so this section is one of those long sentences that we have so often in the book of Ephesians. And I want to break this long sentence down 
as simply as I can for you, kind of in my own words, so that you can hopefully begin to grasp now the what's happening in this huge long sentence in chapter three. So let me see if we can just break this down into into its most simplest form. And even as I break it down into its most simplest form, it's a there's a lot to pack into here. So let me see if we can do this. If I'm in talking in Paul's words here. If you have heard of God's grace to me, that number one, he has revealed to me the truth about the church. Okay. If you've heard of God's grace to me, that number one, he has revealed to me the truth about the church. And number two, that I get to preach Christ and minister to his church. And if you heard number three, and this is in verse 10, that, that through this church, God is going to be glorified. And then number four, that by this church, through Christ, we have access to God. That's in verse 12. Then number five, don't be at all discouraged if you see me suffering for the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Let me just say that again, because I know there's a lot in there. But if you have heard of God's grace to me, that number one, He has revealed to me the truth about the church. And two, that I get to preach Christ and minister to his church. And three, through this church, God is glorified. And if you heard four, that by this church, through Jesus Christ, we have access to God, then then fifthly and finally, don't be at all discouraged if you see me suffering, if you see me in prison for the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And so we'll look at then, first of all, this, this mystery of the church in verses two to six. Now that you kind of understand the, the flow of the passage, verse two says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul had a, a stewardship of grace. He was entrusted with grace. And that grace was for you. It was for the Ephesians and for the Gentile church. And verse three tells us that this grace that God gave Paul was a revelation of the mystery. See, God had made something known to Paul. This was God's grace to Paul that he had revealed something to Paul. And the something that God had made known to Paul, Paul calls it the mystery. Now the mystery that he is talking about is remains a bit of a mystery as you read the text until you get to verse six. So why does Paul, the, uh, let me, sorry, we got to read verse six. So the, the mystery that he's talking about is kind of a bit of a mystery until you get to verse six. He tells you what the mystery is. Verse six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. And so just to simplify that for you, the mystery is the church. The mystery is the church. Now, why does Paul call it a mystery? A mystery is something that was previously hidden or something that was previously unknown, but has, has now been revealed. And in the Old Testament era, there was no church. God revealed this new thing called the church and he revealed it to Paul and to the apostles by grace. 
And what he revealed was that the Gentiles could be fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ. Now in verse 3, Paul says that as I have written briefly at the very end, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And he wrote briefly about the church in Ephesians chapter 2 especially from chapter 2, verses 11 to the end of chapter 2. He had written very briefly about the church in that passage. Verse 4 says, when you when you read this, verse 4 of chapter 3, when you read this, when you read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to following, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So read chapter 2 and you can see Paul's insight that was given to him by God's grace. Verse 5 tells us that the mystery of the church was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so the truth about the church is a new thing. The truth about the church was not made known in other generations, but now through the apostles and through the New Testament prophets, this thing called the church of Jesus Christ has now been made known. We now have this revelation preserved for us in the writings of the New Testament in our Bibles. Verse 6 again tells us what the mystery is. That this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now there's three fellow words in that, in that verse six in the, in the original language. There, there's fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise. Fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise. And the idea of this is that in Christ, we're all united together. We all share an inheritance. We share as members of the same body and we, we share together. We have, we have fellowship together. There's this connection in the promise of the gospel. The church then is this, this great new thing that God had revealed to Paul. And Paul saw it as, as God's grace in his life, even, just see, get this, even just to know about the church. You see, we, we kind of know about the church and it's not a new thing for us. And so we don't maybe get too excited about this. But Paul, he, he's recognized that God is doing a new thing in this age and, and he's revealed it to me. And so I, I know about this thing called the church and this great work that he's doing of saving people and uniting them together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is God's grace in my life that I, I even know about this church. And we'll, we'll, we'll see more as we go on why he had this perspective, that it was just such a grace in his life. But, but for Paul, one of the reasons he felt so privileged was because the church was new and God had specifically chosen him to, to reveal it to him. And so that's the mystery of the church. Now let's see number two. We'll see the, the ministry of the church in verses seven to nine, the ministry of the church in verses seven to nine. Now, Paul picks up on the, the last word from verse six through the gospel. 
And he picks up on that word gospel from verse 6, and he, and he tells us that he is a minister of the gospel. And it's through the gospel that people enter the church, and he is then a minister of this gospel. Gospel ministry is church ministry. And we need to see this connection. Don't, don't miss this connection here. The gospel should result in people joining the church. If your gospel, if the gospel does not result in people joining the church, then you're doing something wrong. Because the, the gospel does connect us to the church as we saw in chapter two, if we had studied chapter two, when, when the Ephesians were saved and made alive with Christ, they were, they were joined to the church and they became in verse, chapter two, verse 15, they became in himself, in Christ, one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And so when the Ephesians were saved, they became part of the universal church. And now they're part of the local church in the city of Ephesus. And so there's this connection between gospel ministry and church ministry. These two things are really more connected than many people seem to understand in this day. So verse 7, he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul is a minister of the gospel according to the gift of God's grace. You see, Paul sees his ministry now as a gift. His knowledge was a gift, and now his ministry of that knowledge, the fact that he is able to minister the knowledge that he has, is a gift that was given to him by God according to the working of his power. To be able to know and to preach the gospel is something that we don't deserve, and it's a gift to us from God. That's how Paul saw it. In verse 8 continues, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul again acknowledges that he is unworthy of this gift. He is unworthy to be allowed to preach the unsearchable riches of our Lord Jesus Christ. To minister the gospel is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. When we, when we preach the gospel, we are preaching Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul summarized his whole ministry of, of gospel ministry and church planting as preaching Christ and Him crucified. The person and work of Christ is unsearchable riches that Paul is recognizing it is, it is a grace in my life. It is a gift from God that I get to preach this message of Jesus Christ. And the riches of this Christ, the riches of the person and work of Christ is or, or are, if we're using riches, they are unsearchable. It's literally in, in the Greek text, it's the wealth of Christ singular. The wealth of Christ is unsearchable. Now this word unsearchable is a, is kind of like a, a tracking term. It's like a, it's a technical term for, for somebody who, who followed someone 
and tracked them by tracing their footsteps. Now, I don't even know if it was used for hunting or if it was used for tracking people, but whatever whatever this word was, it was used for tracking someone. And, and a tracker would, would follow someone, and they would follow the, the traces that were left behind until they kind of found them. And the idea here is that that this the the riches of Christ are untrackable. You you can't track them. They're 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 beyond tracking. They're untraceable. There's so many riches in Christ that we can't track them all down. That's what that's what the idea here. There's there's so much wealth in the Lord Jesus Christ that if you spent an eternity, you could never track down the fullness of the wealth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I get to preach that wealth. I get to preach that richness. I get to preach that greatness and that glory of Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God's grace that I'm able to do this thing. It'd be impossible to trace all the wealth of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how Paul sees this. He's a, he's a minister of the Gentiles. He preaches the riches of Christ to them. He's a, he's a minister of the gospel that, that joins them into Christ and, and, and makes them part of, of his church. And so for him, this is just grace upon grace in his life. And you remember that at one point in Paul's life, he persecuted the church and, and prosecuted the church and tried to arrest everyone that was in the church. And now he is arrested for this church and it's just God's grace in his life as he sees it. He doesn't deserve this blessing that he has that he can preach Jesus Christ even though he's in prison. Now in verse 9, he adds more to this. He says, uh, he adds another thing that was, that was given to him. So it was given to him first to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then second, verse 9, and, so it was given to him to preach the riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, that mystery we already know, that is the mystery of this thing called the church. And Paul's Paul was given to bring this thing called the church to light. His ministry was to bring to light or to unveil or to illumine or to, to make manifest. And what was Paul making manifest again? He's making manifest the reality, the truth about the church. And so we see then how the church and the gospel are, are connected for Paul. Paul says here that God's grace to, God's grace to me. I get to preach Christ and bring to light the work of the church. And so Paul's ministry was evangelism and church planting. And as the church was built through his preaching, people would begin to see this church. And so he's, he's bringing it to light as, as people are being saved and added to the church. This, this thing called the church is being made and, and brought to light in the, in the real world. And, and people and even angels, as we'll see, would, would begin to see this new thing that God was building, this church. 
And so there's the, the ministry of the church, preaching Christ, preaching the gospel. And as that is happening, this everyone is able to see this amazing thing that God is doing, this new thing that God is doing, building his church. And now what we want to see next is the purpose of the church. And here's where we, we really, I hope, begin to see why Paul saw his ministry as such a privilege. And this is number three then, the purpose of the church. And we see this in verses 10 and 11, the purpose of the church. He says there, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's an amazing thing about the church, and and this is really incredible. The wisdom of God is shown through the church. God's wisdom is made known through the church, and it's called a a manifold wisdom, a, a multifaceted wisdom. I don't know anything about cars, but I'm guessing that a manifold has many different parts to it, right? There's, there's lots of different, maybe shoots into a manifold or something. I have no idea, but manifold means multifaceted, lots of different parts. And when you look at God's wisdom in the church, you see all of these different facets of his wisdom and it, and it's being made known through the church. And look who it is being made known to. It's to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. These are angelic beings, probably both good and bad. And Paul came to know the mystery of the church and he engaged in the ministry of the church and he did so so that God's wisdom would be made known in the heavenly realms. And this is really to say that, that God is glorified through the church. What an amazing thought then that this is God's plan to glorify himself, not only for the people on earth, but also in the, in the eyes of the angelic host. God is glorifying himself through the church. Now look at Ephesians just with me. Look at Ephesians 3. And verse 20, and after Paul prays for the Ephesians that they'd be strengthened with all might and, and that they would really know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they'd be filled with all the fullness of God, verse 19, he closes that prayer in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul understands that God has designed it that he would be glorified in the church and in Jesus Christ, through the church and through Jesus Christ. And it might surprise us to see the church in there. I think we're used to thinking that, that God's going to be glorified through Christ in our lives, but we might forget that, that Christ working in our lives joins us to this thing called the church and that it's through this church that Christ is, is fully manifested to the world 
according to the power that works in us as Christ lives in his people in the church. And so, so God's wisdom is on display through the church. God's wisdom is seen in bringing Jew and Gentile together in the church. God's wisdom is seen in, in using the church's members to preach the gospel. God's wisdom is seen in that he uses the church to grow us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. God works through us in our weakness to show that he is the one who is building the church, that it's according to his power at work through even weak and sinful people. God's wisdom is seen in how he designed the gospel. And can, yeah, it, it's so hard to even grasp all of what's happening here. God has designed it that he's going to glorify himself through this church, through our local church, through Grace Life Church, through the worldwide church, through the church in heaven, God is going to glorify himself and, and angels and what, what Paul calls principalities and powers or rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. They, they look down from the heavenly realm on the church and they are learning about how wise God is. That is just amazing to me. They're going, they're going, wow, you are incredibly wise, God. You are so wise that you designed this thing called the church. And they're looking and they're, they're learning about the multifaceted wisdom of God. And I think we look at it sometimes and we think it's not some big deal. The angels, they don't think that, right? The angels are going, wow, God is so incredibly wise and, and, and I just, I, I'm just, I'm baffled. I don't even know what to say. God designed the church according to his perfect, infinite wisdom. And even though we are weak and we have remaining sin in our lives and we struggle in so many ways and sometimes we don't even know what to do, God is working through the church in every age to glorify himself. And I think we'll probably see it more fully when we get to heaven and we realize how God has worked through us. That heavenly view, I guess, is what maybe kind of finalizes that, that, that wisdom for us. But we should never doubt God's wisdom because he has done this thing according to his infinite wisdom. And verse 11 adds that it's according to his eternal purpose. You see, God had an eternal purpose to build this church through Christ. And we see this even more fully if you just turn back to chapter 1 of Ephesians and look at verse 9. Ephesians 1, 9 says, making known to us. So he, he, God, verse eight, he lavished on us all wisdom and insight. So God has lavished some wisdom and insight on, on us, making us known, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is, in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now, God's purpose is to 
unite all things in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is, is the beginning of this plan on earth. So, so God's eternal purpose is to kind of, we could say it like this. God's eternal purpose is to fix everything that went wrong in this universe by the fall, to fix it and make it right through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and now the church is the beginning of this uniting all things in him. And, and we're, of course, we are on earth. But ultimately, everything is going to be righted through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we are kind of the first fruits of that purpose of God, that eternal purpose. And so are you seeing how important the church is? The church is incredibly important in God's plans. It, it's the vehicle through which God is glorified and through which he's going to accomplish his eternal purpose of fixing everything that went wrong in this universe. It's the beginning of God's eternal purpose to sum up or unite all things in Christ. And Paul is saying then in our text, wow, I get to be part of this grand work of God. I get to join in with God and what he is doing. And each of us, if we are part of the church, each of us gets to participate in this great work called the church, so long as we are truly part of the church. Now, what do I mean when I say truly part of the church? Well, going to church doesn't make you part of the church. Being a member of a local church doesn't make you part of the church. To be part of the church or to be part of what we call the, the universal church, we must be in Christ. We must be in Christ. Notice again, this was according, verse 11 of chapter 3, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, in verse 12, we have boldness and access and confidence. So we need to be in Christ to be part of the church. The universal church, the, the universal church is the body of Christ all over the world, including those who are already in heaven. That's what we call the universal church. To be in the body of Christ means that you are connected to Christ, that you are united to Him. So to be in Christ means you're, there's this, this vital connection between you and Christ. There's this union between you and Christ and you are united to Him. It means that, that He lives in you and you live in Him. And so to be truly part of the church means that you are genuinely united to Jesus Christ and that He has come into your life in a life-changing way. Now, I want to explore this, what it means to be truly part of the church. And really, I could just say it simply like this. It means that you are born again, right? It means that you are genuinely saved, that you are a true Christian. And I want to explore this under the fourth characteristic of the church. And and I called that the salvation of the church. And, And we can see this in verse 12. Look at verse 12, but we'll start again in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then it says, in whom, that is, 
In Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. And so here we see the salvation that the true church of Christ has. This is what we have in Christ. Notice the the last part of the verse first. We'll look at that first. The last part, it says there, through our faith in Him. And so if you want to know if you are in Christ, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I trusting in Him? Am I trusting in Christ Jesus the Lord? And trusting is a good word here because the the word faith has been really drained of its meaning in our culture and in our day. Faith in Him, faith in Christ means that you trust Him. It means that you, you know who He is. It means that you know what He did, that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and rose again from the dead. And it means that you, you trust Him to save you from sin and make you right with God. Another way to say it slightly different is that you come to Him. If you have faith in Christ, you come to Him. And faith in Him means that you you come to the living person of Jesus Christ and you come to Him for salvation. You come to Him for salvation from your sins against Him. You come to Him for salvation from your old way of living and life. And when you come to Him like this, you are united to Christ in a life-changing union Because you've come to know Him as a living person, that He is now your Savior. And so there's this relationship that now is there between you and Christ. And so let me ask you, if you're listening to me this morning, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your works? Your good deeds? Sometimes people get mixed up on this and they even, they even trust in their faith. That is not what we are to trust in. We are to trust in the living person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who can save us and deliver us from our sin. And so our, our trust is in Christ and in Christ alone. And if you're trusting in anything but Christ, you are trusting incorrectly And you will end up in hell for your sins. We must trust in and and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. But if you have your faith in Christ, if your faith is truly in this Christ, then look at what we have according to verse 12. It says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. We have boldness and and access with confidence. We can, if we're in Christ, we can boldly access God. Boldly means that, that our access is unhindered. It's unrestricted. We have, we have free access to God. That word there, access, means that, that we can, we can get in to see Him. There's, there's a, a way to God's presence through Christ. When we trust Christ, we are, and we are in Him, and, and in Him, we have access to God. And so we have this free, unhindered access in Christ. But outside of Christ, there is no access to God. If you are not in Christ, if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no access to God. 
And you can have no confidence to approach him. And the only access that you will have to God is when he casts you into hell for your sins forever. But in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are counted by God as righteous. And now we have this free, unhindered access into his presence. And we are in relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's only in this way through Christ that sinful man can draw near to the holy God. And so I hope you're following Paul's thoughts here as we look at these passages. By grace, Paul has come to know about the church. And that same grace has allowed him to be a minister of the gospel and and a, a part of of building that church. And this church is how God is glorifying himself. This church is God's purpose. Part of his eternal plan to to honor his son. And everyone in this church has salvation in Jesus Christ. And through this church, the message of salvation then goes forth so that the the church kind of multiplies itself and, and spreads itself all over the world. And all of this together leads to the final point, number five, the value of the church. And I, I want to take this from verse 13, but also even going back a little bit into verse one, we see number five, the value of the church. Verse one reads, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And verse 13, so, or, or we could translate it, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Based on all that Paul has said about the church, he's, he's telling the Ephesians, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged that I'm a prisoner on behalf of you. He's saying the, the church is so great, so awesome, designed by the omnisapient, all-wise God, and I get to suffer for her. See, Paul is glad to suffer for such a case. When he says, which is your glory, he means that his sufferings have been for the Ephesians' eternal good. And so, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. And brothers and sisters, I want us then to look at Paul's example. You know, he sees the church as God's chosen people. He sees the church as Christ's bride. And like Christ, Paul too gives up his life for the church. And he serves the people to build them up in the faith. And he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ to them. Now, not all of us will preach, but but all of us should be committed to, to building one another up, to using our gifts in one another's lives. And honestly, especially in a time like this, just, just even coming to worship is a huge encouragement to your brothers and sisters right now. You know, I know that, that Grace Life Church is so encouraged to know that, that we are here right now worshiping God alongside of them. They, they couldn't be happier to have us doing the same thing that their pastor is in jail for doing. And so they are so encouraged to know that we are here right now. 
We need to follow Paul's example of, of giving himself up, of giving up his life for the church. Now, in order to do this, we need to develop strong convictions about the church. If we're going to be strengthened for this, if we're going to, if we're going to continue to gather uh, and, and worship the Lord as we're commanded in Scripture, we need some strong convictions about the church. And what I hope you see already is that the church isn't some secondary thing outside of salvation. You know, we can't say, I'm saved, but, but I don't belong to the church. I don't, I don't go to a local church. To be saved means to be part of the church. And if you belong to the, the universal church, the church that, that exists in heaven and on earth all over around the world, if you belong to the universal church, then you need to be part of a particular local church that gathers and ministers and, and does all of the one another things that were commanded in scripture. We need to, to be, to use really our whole lives to bless one another and build one another up and, and serve a particular local church where, where we can use our gifts and they can use their gifts in our lives. And it's through this work that God is glorified in this age. The New Testament knows nothing of a believer who isn't part of a local church. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the church is the way that God in His infinite wisdom has designed to glorify Himself. And He has chosen this group of people. And He has called us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. And now He is working through us to make us more like Christ and to bring others to Christ. This is the value of the church. And this is why the church is worth suffering for. If we love Christ, we love His bride, the church. If we love God, we love His plan, the church. If we love the Holy Spirit, we love His work, which is building the church. The church is the body of Christ all over the world and in heaven. But we are called to gather in local assemblies on Sunday morning and we gather for worship, for prayer, for the reading of Scripture, to listen to, to God through the preaching of His Word, we gather for baptism and we gather for the Lord's Supper and we gather for fellowship with one another to build one another up. And we can't just give this up. Paul was imprisoned for the church and he thought it was a, a gift of grace in his life that he could be a part of that. And we too should value the church even above our own selves and above our own lives because the church is worthy, and because the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank You for our time together to look at this thing called the church, this mystery that, that You had designed eternally but revealed in the days of the apostles who have written us this, this, this scripture that we have here, we thank you for the privilege. I thank you for the privilege myself to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to, to bring to light the, the mystery of the church. Father, glorify yourself through your church 
Strengthen your church all over the world and especially in Canada. And we thank you that, that in your infinite wisdom, you have allowed us to be part of this great thing that you are doing. We pray that we would value the church the way that you do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.